right, it is very exciting for me to be here. Um, I want to hopefully open your eyes to a ministry today, um, but in order to explain where we are today, I have to go back to the past, which starts as a young boy. I was born and raised in Menominee Falls. Actually, I wasn't born in Menominee Falls because there wasn't a hospital back when I was born. That's how old I am. Um, I was actually born at St. Joe's on Burleigh. Um, <clears throat> raised in a middle-class home here in Menominee Falls. Um, enjoyed a wonderful childhood. Um, we could ride our bikes in the summer to the high school pool, go swimming, uh, stop at the A&W. You know, you could be out on your bike all day and it wasn't a problem. It was a different day. A uh, different kind of day in many ways, though. In the 60s and the 70s, the world was changing. Uh, a lot of turmoil, a lot of new ideas being tossed about. Um, everything was kind of being thrown out that was conventional and, and orthodox in any way was being changed. And uh, you get influenced by some of that. Um, I was raised uh, in a Catholic home, went to the Catholic elementary school. Um, that, that school my mom also taught as a lay teacher. I had my mom for a homeroom teacher and a math teacher. Um, very interesting uh, upbringing there. Um, that school closed. It was right here in Romney Falls. In my seventh grade, I went to uh, public school at that point, which was sort of a culture shock for me. Um, and as you're trying to weave through life, you're trying to figure out where do you fit in. And in high school, I went out for football, and that was not my thing. I, I rode the bench the whole time. Um, did well in swimming, um, actually did excel in swimming for a while. I had a short, short pole vaulting career. Uh, it lasted one meet. Um, in order to qualify, you had to clear 10 feet. I cleared it the week before the meet, and they said, Jim, you're in the meet. I'm like, you gotta be kidding, I just, I cleared it once. And they're, yeah, you're in the meet. So we get to the meet, and I'm thinking, oh, this, this ought to be fun, and I'll watch these other guys. Who's the first one up? Jim Craig. Okay, good. So I'm like, my knees are knocking. I go down. And first two times, I, I barely got the pole up straight. And the third time, I'm going to try a little harder. Well, went a little farther, but I still didn't go over. And I ended up crashing, landed on my left arm, and dislocated this thing. It looked ugly. And uh, that was in Waukesha, Waukesha North. And uh, so the, the people are like, well, we could take you to the hospital. We'll call your parents. My mom at that time worked at Medical Associates. And she's like, oh, no, we'll come and pick up Jimmy, and we'll take him to you know, the clinic where she works. All right, great idea. So I'm waiting in the lobby, you know, turning white. And I get in the car. Waukesha's got a bunch of one-ways. And my dad was also an interesting character. Um, <laughs> he, he got lost in the one-ways, and it got thrown off. And so I finally get in the car, and he turns around and he goes, don't you ever break your arm in Waukesha again. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that was sort of my upbringing. I got to spend uh, a few summers up on Pelican Lake with my grandmother. As a youngster, that was very special to be with my grandmother for three summers and uh, to learn her values, you know, going up through the Depression. Um, I mean, they saved everything. Whatever you didn't eat, you got back the next meal. It was, you know, it was interesting, um, but a special lady. Uh, both her and my mom were teachers. I think 
I think <clears throat> I kind of learned to be a teacher some ways, shape or form through that, and God shaped all that. So going into high school, I didn't fit in with the jocks, so you, there was the jocks and the freaks, so I aligned myself with the freaks, so right away at age 16, I was drinking beer, booze, uh, smoking pot. By the time I was almost 17, I was already a regular at two taverns, one on Freeze Lake and one in West Allis. Uh, back then, the drinking age was 18, so obviously you could kind of pull that off. Um, I continued with that lifestyle for 16 years, smoking pot every day for 16 years. Uh, uh, at, the, at the end of my, prior to getting saved, I was, smoking, I was, I was growing marijuana in my basement. Uh, we would do drugs on the weekend. Um, two weeks before I was saved, I was at the state bowling convention here in Appleton and was doing cocaine. Um, I did every drug imaginable. The only thing I wouldn't do, and this used to be, I had these great scruples, I wouldn't stick a needle in my vein, but that, that really doesn't really distinguish you as anything better or less than anyone else that uses drugs. Um, it's just an escape. You're escaping reality. And, and you're going to have to face it. And usually when you wake up, it's worse. It always gets worse. Uh, it was to the point where I would be out drinking and I wouldn't know how I got home. I would have to look in my wallet to discover there was no money left to figure out how much fun I had. It wasn't really fun, though, was it? It was, it was all misery. Uh, it, was a, it was a fake image. It was a facade. And uh, I was just trying to be a puppet in some kind of game that society had tossed me. Uh, so six months prior to me getting saved, my wife had gotten saved. She met a, a Christian lady at work, and that had interest her. And she, she, that lady was more of the um, Elmbrook family of churches. And um, it was interesting because they could, they could tell you you need to be saved, but they wouldn't tell you how. And there's sort of confusion there when you think about that. Uh, she alone, with her Bible in our living room, figured out she needed to call on the Lord and ask her to be saved. So she was. She started looking for a church. Uh, she told her friends, yeah, I heard on the radio about Falls Baptist Church. They said, I'm going to go there. They're like, oh, you can't go there. That's, that's a legalistic church. You don't want to go there. No, no. She, she visited, uh, it was, would have been 1989, uh, Thanksgiving Day, which is totally different from any other service. That was her first service, and she loved the church. And some people started praying for me, um, and the staff here, the deacons. Uh, and six months later, I got a drunk driving charge. And at that point, I couldn't drive where I wanted to. You have an occupational license, so you can only drive to work. And uh, <clears throat> I remember it was a March 25th of 1990, and my wife is like, hey, would you like to come to church and watch me get baptized? And I'm like, they're going to do what? They're going to dunk me in a tank. I'm like, you got to be kidding. Don't you just get sprinkled as a baby? I mean, that's, that's enough? And she's like, no, that, you know, this is what they're going to do. And you want to come? And I'm thinking, well, let's see. I got no guys coming to pick me up. There's no football games. Um, I guess I'll go. So I walked in the church here, a little different configuration than what we have today. And everyone's got a Bible. And they're all singing. I'm like, this cannot be right. 
There must be something wrong here, or either this is really right or this is really wrong. And the contrast was so great. And, you know, the music went on for a half hour. And I was like, well, you know, shouldn't we be, you know, yelling at each other in the parking lot to get out? Um, <laughs> and, and then pastor got up and he preached and he's talking about the geography. You go up to Jerusalem and, and he's talking about the political. I'm like, where did he get all that? You know, I've never heard this. And, uh, and after a while, you know, then there was the invitation and, in the meantime, I put the sticker on, said, you know, visitor. And I got to date myself. You guys aren't going to remember this. If you remember Kmart, they used to have blue light specials. And in the store, they would light this blue light up, and they would say, hey, we got, you know, uh, we got a special on, you know, soda. And people would flock like mosquitoes to this blue light uh, because it was on sale. Well, that sticker was equivalent to a blue light. As I'm walking out of the church, I had like five guys coming up to me. And they're like, Jim, if you were to die, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? That is a deep theological question for someone who hasn't come to terms with that. And I'm thinking, boy, I don't know. So the only thing I could do is blow the guy, guy off. Hey, I don't know. You know. I get to the back. Laying in wait is John Suring. Uh, and he hits me with the same question. I'm like, okay, you know, here we go. Uh, I said, I don't know for sure. I hope so. Nobody could know for sure. Then he says, the Bible tells you you could know for sure. I'm like, the Bible? Wait a minute. I, I went to a religious school, but I don't know the Bible. So in, in my ignorance, I had to blow him off because he's going to show me something I don't know about. And I said, hey, I'm waiting for my wife to get dried off. You know. And he said, I'll wait with you. Okay, fine. So Julie comes, and she gets about 10 feet away from us. And John goes, Hey, Julie, is it okay if I show Jim some verses out of the Bible? I'm like, what? She's, guess what her answer was? Oh, yeah, sure. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm not getting out of here unless I see these verses. We actually went to the back stairs leading to the baptistry, and he starts showing me the Romans Road. First, I'm upset. I went to a religious school. They never showed me this. How did I get short-sheeted? I should know this. And then I started thinking, well, what does this mean for grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and aunts and uncles? And you could stack them up like dominoes, and they're all falling the wrong way. I'm like, wow, those are people I love. And here I am with a stranger. And I wrestled for 45 minutes. And then I realized, you know what? That's in black and white. And I responded, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me. And... Uh, I can remember walking out the door, once again, different configuration, Julie's arms in mine. I said, I don't know what happened, but something is different. Two weeks later, I threw all my marijuana away. I had a three-foot bong that I would smoke morning, moon, and night, noon and night. I threw it all away. I, I'm walking by Julie. All the pot I was growing, I threw it away. She goes, yeah, I think Jim got saved. Um, <laughs> I started attending Sunday nights. I figured, well, that's all you need, you know, because. The other services are just going to be a repeat. You know, that's my Catholic upbringing. I, actually, I was an altar boy. Um, we actually recited things in Latin. I had no idea what I was saying. Um, but I started soaking up as much as I could. I hit the ground running. The very first uh, meeting was, was Gary Gilmore, and I was just, I soaked it up. And I grew and I grew. It wasn't long. and. They switched to the Sunday school system we have now, and I became part of that. 
wasn't long after that I became a teacher and I was a Sunday school teacher for decades. And I love teaching, I love pouring into men. Uh, and it was something that was something I really enjoyed. Um, so that's how I got involved. Some years later, we got involved in RU, RU. I love this room because this represents RU to me. And RU was where I got to see Christianity in a different light. People with needs would come and they weren't, there was no pretense. It's I'm hurting and I need help. And I thought, wow, that's really refreshing. I could help that guy. And uh, so we got involved with that. Then uh, the church was presented an opportunity to get into the Milwaukee County Jail and the House of Correction, which we never did. And, uh, and they, they were like, we gotta train workers. And this, this took about two years before we actually got in. And I remember we were in Fellowship Hall A. That room was packed with people that wanted to learn the jail ministry. And I, I, I think Pastor was sitting right across from me in the aisle. And I, we, we went through the training because um, it was going to be under the umbrella of RU, which makes sense. And uh, I was driving home with Julie, and I said, you know what? There's all these preacher guys. There's all these more qualified people. I said, I, I think I'm just going to take a back row on this, and, and you know, I, I don't see myself as being qualified like everyone else. It took some time to get in. Uh, jails don't open they don't just swing their arms open and say, oh, we'd love to have you. You have to work at it. And there's some political to it. There's, there's, there's certain organizations that have key people in key positions, and they, they influence on who they'll let in and won't let in. So it took some time. We did get in. And the slots that were open were Friday afternoons and I think Tuesday evenings. We had a few slots. And we wanted to fill as many as we could. Well, Friday afternoon, I happened to be off on Friday afternoons from work. And, uh, and Tom Allen was leading it up at the time and he asked me and Julie right here in the front row if we'd be part of it because he was looking for people to fill slots. And we said, oh, sure. And so right away we got introduced to the jail ministry. I was in it maybe six months and the Lord burdened me. He said, well, what else can you do? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? What else can I do? Uh, I thought, well, you know, there's some prisons around here. I could probably contact them and see what I could do. So I contacted Kettle Moraine, which is in Plymouth, Wisconsin, not very far from where I live in West Bend. And after a while, they said, yeah, why don't you come in? We'll have you preach Sunday services. I'm like, I've never done that. I don't know if you can do that. And, and there it's done one hour, three in a row. So you got three services back to back. Wham, 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 you go. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't know if I could... I could do that and I got up there and you know knee knocking and you know sweated through the first few and after a while I got to realize you know these are people with needs and God wants to use me to help meet needs and it changed everything um, so that that was interesting so I got involved there uh, I thought well you know this is really good and the Lord said well what else can you do and I'm like well come on now I'm already doing enough and he said, well, there's a, there's, a lake, there's a prison in Fox Lake. You could try that. So I called them up. They said, sure, come on in. We'll have you do Sunday services. Every fifth Sunday there is in, in a year, you get to do that service. I'm like, okay. There it's two services, Tuesday, uh, 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon and 6 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Uh, different setup there. Interesting. Both places, the, 
Those are medium security prisons, um, run 120 men. Uh, I'll get at least 10% of those men in the services. Uh, so that's a pretty good showing. The Protestant wing, this is, this is a sad statement on our faith, has the largest amount of criminals. So I preach to the largest crowds. Now back to after that, then the Lord said, what else can you do? I'm like, come on, I'm, I'm, I'm stretched, I'm, I'm maxed out. And I started looking at the, we were in the Milwaukee County Jail under a group called Law and Grace, Brothers Troop, a wonderful, faithful man doing it for years. I love the guy. Uh, but I thought, you know, I'd like to focus on Wisconsin. And I thought, I think I could launch out and start. And I talked with Pastor, and, and I started Counted Worthy in about October of 2015 with a burden on Wisconsin. After being in the jail for some time, I became burdened for the many people I would see, that, and their, their burden really was they were there because of drugs, whether it was stealing in order to facilitate the drugs. Uh, one way or another, it was heavily tied to drugs, in particular, the opiates. Heroin it was so great. When I was a kid, heroin was only for the rock stars and the down and outers. And actually, in the 80s, when cocaine was big, it almost died out. And when I saw it roaring back, it was like, wow, this is really weird. And it came back with a vengeance. Um, so the young people today, heroin is their biggest nemesis. And it's, it's destroying lives at an incredible rate. And I thought, you know, we need to address this. In a jail, you have three months at the most to a year with an individual. It's, it's rather short term. Jail is meant to be for pre-sentence individuals. They're on trial, they're convicted, either they're guilty or they're not, and, and they're in there for that stay. Most of them, it's they're there because of poverty. They can't afford a lawyer. If you and I were convicted, we'd have a lawyer, we wouldn't be in jail most likely. These are poverty people, they're needy. So I started, I started thinking, you know, we got, we got to do something to address the drug problem. That's one of their greatest needs. And I thought, what, what can we touch on? And we can only touch on three topics, and it's going to be drugs, it's going to be anger, and it's going to be parenting. And I identified those core issues as being what touches all, every inmate that's in there. And as time has proved out, I was right on the money. You couldn't have hit that target better with those three topics. So the drug uh, program, I sat down in my living room and I thought, I had the inmate in my mind, I said, Lord, how do I reach them? And he started giving me curriculum and verses like, even to this day, when I'm teaching them, I'm like, where did I get that? That's really good, you know, that's not me. Uh, he gave me so much and he was just pouring it out and I'm writing it, scribbling it down as fast as I could, these ideas. And it took about six months or more to develop this interesting thing. That's exactly when the house fire. See, Satan didn't want me in the jail. He didn't want to rescue those people. So 
after we got on our feet from the fire, I found the material. It was perfectly intact, unharmed. I started pouring back through it. Got my wife to correct my grammar, which is terrible. Um, and fix all the sentence structure. You know, we would argue, well, that's not a sentence. What do you mean it's not a sentence? Okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right, honey, uh, I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I was terrible at English, you know. Uh, so I, I developed it and I started teaching it and it is amazing uh, how it strikes at the heart of people. Uh, in, the, in the drug series alone, I start out at the top of every lesson. It's from 2 Corinthians 2.11. Lest Satan should gain an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Here's how I teach it. Satan has a tool belt. He's got a lot of tools. One of them is drugs. And it's really effective. He's just repackaged it. It's nothing new. He just took something from the past, put a new wrapper on it, and shoved it in our faces. Opium dems. Opium has been used forever. Uh, it's not a new drug at all. Uh, the scary thing is now the medical industry did a bad thing. They created something called fentanyl. And they did it for people going through an operation. And it's, it's, it's high powered, it's 50 to 100 times stronger than heroin, short duration. So it's meant to, to really take care of a pain someone has after an, after an operation. Well, as a matter of fact, in the hospital with Lydia, I looked, she had so many bags and pumps going, it wasn't crazy. I looked and one said fentanyl, I thought, and what the nurse would do when she didn't want to deal with Lydia, she would hit that button and Lydia would just kind of pass out. And I thought, that is dirty pool. You're using this drug the wrong way. So it wasn't long and the street cartel got a hold of fentanyl, reverse engineered it. First the Chinese made it for them, now they make it themselves. And they cut it with the heroin, uh, extremely deadly. Uh, if you took a salt shaker and just pulled out three grains of salt, that, in the equivalent of fentanyl, would be enough to kill you. Um, so you can imagine in a highly unregulated environment that the drug cartel would be, they cannot get that mixture right. Uh, people are dying left and right. Um, it's, it's just so sad. So I, when we teach about the drugs, I, there's a huge swath of people that are just right on board with what I'm saying. But I have the answer. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And he comes shining through, and we see a lot of people saved um, in the jails. I'll give you a, last year, just in the three jails, Milwaukee County, Waukesha County Jail, which Waukesha and Washington County are counted worthy jails, ones that I got my foot in the door. Uh, Milwaukee is law and grace. Um, in, and we just have four or five chaplains that go in, over 400 people saved last year alone. Um, I personally, with my many contacts, I've seen over 250 men get saved last year. Um, never in my wildest dreams could I imagine God would use someone like me. Uh, so we continue on with the series here. The next is anger. Anger is becoming such a huge problem today. Uh, everywhere you go, men and women, it's universal. And really, at the root of anger is a hurt or a pain that has not been resolved. And, and I get them to think, wait a minute, what, what is, it isn't the episode, the anger episode, it isn't that person you're tangle, tangling with that's the problem, it's something else that has not been resolved. 
And I kind of open their eyes up to that and get them started on that. Then we go into the parenting. Uh, parenting, you got to realize these people don't come from homes like you and I. First thing I teach is parenting is teaching. Now, I know you're thinking, boy, Jim, you're a rocket scientist. But that's really, that'll change everything if you think about parenting. My role isn't law and order. My role isn't to have my kids look good. I'm a teacher. In the Old Testament, who taught the kids? The moms and the dads. They were the teachers. They are the primary teachers. And if I change my role from just being law and order, you got to make me look good, too. I need to teach you. I need to train you. It changes the whole dynamic of what I'm doing. I now do my job totally different because I'm investing in someone. I'm shaping a life. These are concepts they've never heard of. Then I go on and I teach how there's some help for you as a parent. It's called the Holy Spirit. And he will guide you and teach you into all truth. And you're not all alone. And then in the last lesson, I teach about prayer. And I actually bring the hour of prayer into the lesson. And so I take it from the basics of teaching being a parent to you've got some amazing tools and helps if you'll just take advantage of it. So that's the curriculum. Um, many years ago, I developed a track called My Way or the Highway. That's the title is a little deceiving because that's what my dad used to tell me. He used to say, Jim, here's how it's going to be. It's going to be my way or the highway. And I just play off of, you know, what is God's way in this Bible tract. And this was actually a letter to my brother-in-law, Kirk Lobbs. And he was going through a difficult time and I couldn't, we couldn't connect. So I wrote this letter. Actually, Julie was here, I think at the time we only had five kids. Um, and I was at home taking care of the kids. You know, you do this and you do that. And uh, you know, straighten up that room when I was writing this letter. Um, I don't think he directly got saved from this, but I think it had an impact. Uh, I was able to disciple him, which was amazing. And he's a fine Christian man today. Um, so back to the jail ministry. Um, my burden is to catch, get you to catch a vision. No matter what life throws at you, where you go, maybe you won't be a missionary, maybe you, won't, you men won't be pastors. No matter where you go, you can have a jail ministry. Everywhere you go, there's a county. In every county, there's a county seat. There's a courthouse, and always attached to the courthouse is a jail. There's a ministry right there ready-made for you. The biggest problem I have today is we have separated Christians and we have needy people. And we don't bridge the gap. And I'm not saying we move to, to their direction, but we must interact with them. They desperately need what we have. But as long as we live this separated life, and oh no, I can't, I can't oh no. They're dying for what you have. They desperately need it. They don't know what a Christian looks like. They don't know what it's like to have a meal together as a family. They don't even know within their family, you know, how many different dads their brothers and sisters have. It's just a wreck. And 
and the heroin is only magnifying it. You have the answer. It's a ready-made ministry. You get a time slot every week. Tell me where you could have a discipleship program weekly and see people saved every time you go in. It's incredible. I don't have to go out and get them. They're already there. Right there in the building. They're needy. They're sober. Here's the one thing about our you when we were here on Friday nights is we'd be pouring our hearts out and people would be like, hey, Jimmy, almost done because, uh, you know, I want to go out and use. But in the jail, they're clean and sober. And now when I speak the truth, it just goes right in and lights up. And they want it so bad. And they, I've seen guys, in six months, I would lead this man to the Lord. Six months later, he's bringing other people to the Bible study. He's fasting and praying. He's only a six-month-old Christian. I would start quoting a verse. He could finish it. I've seen some of the most amazing growth in my life. Like I said, I, I was a Sunday school teacher, and I loved it, and I poured my heart into it, but... I've never seen the movement in souls of men like I do in the jail. Now, will it last? I don't know. If they go back to that same environment, it could be very hard. But at least I gave them a glimpse of what it could be. I gave them some hope of what God wants them to be. But you, wherever you go, could have a ministry just like this. Very easily. All you have to do is contact the church, contact me. I have a website, countedworthy.org, and I will help you. I'll get you the curriculum. I'll coach you. I'll, I'll teach you the ins and outs of the jail system. And you could have a ministry no matter where you go. A needy ministry. One that will not fade away. As time goes by, it's only going to get worse. The jails are going to be packed. Milwaukee County, 900 men facility, men and women facility. In a year, they turn over 35,000 people. That's the size of Menominee Falls. That's a city within a city. Imagine the medical needs, the food and clothing. But the highlight is the spiritual. Because in there, they're just a number on a wristband. The guards tell them you're nothing. And then you bring in the message of hope. And you say, you're worth something. You're counted worthy. I was just teaching out of Acts chapter 13 and 38 through 41. And I talked about forgiveness of sins and being justified. Those are amazing truths. Justified, you mean, you mean even though I have a criminal record, I could stand upright in the sight of God and be as righteous as anyone? Yes. That's an incredible message. You give that to anybody, they're going to they're gonna grab a hold of that. But that's the power of God. That's the power of the gospel. So my purpose today was to mainly get you to see what is possible. Jail ministry is very possible for you. 
and there are people that desperately need what you have, don't keep it to yourself. Share it. It isn't about you. It's his story. And the gospel is so powerful. Um, you'll be flabbergasted when you give it how they receive it. So I'm going to have Pastor come and close here. I appreciate your listening ear. And uh, once again, this was all about God. It wasn't about Jim Craig. I'm just an unlearned and ignorant man. But if God can use me, what can he do with you, Pastor? Pastor?